0: Well, this past Sunday, April 5th, the U.S. Surgeon General, Dr. Adams, said this is going to be the saddest and hardest week of most Americans' lives. His sentiment was shared by others who felt that this pandemic could be reaching its peak in terms of the number of deaths that we would see. You know, right now, everything's being driven by a fear of death. But Easter reminds us that we don't have to fear death. In the Jungle Book, Mowgli was asked a question, what is the most feared thing in the jungle? And the various animals began talking amongst themselves, and they said, when two animals meet on a narrow path, one must step aside to let the other pass. And the animal that steps aside for no one is the most feared. One animal said, it's the lion. Another one said, it's the elephant. And then the wise old owl said, the most feared thing in the jungle is death, because it steps aside for no one. In Ecclesiastes seven 2, we're told that death is the end of every man. But as we're going to see today, as we turn in our Bible to Luke chapter 7, if we're walking with Jesus, if we are a follower of the Lord of life, Jesus Christ, we don't have to fear death, because death steps aside even No, Jesus doesn't step aside even for death. Death yields to him. So I invite you to look with me now as we begin by reading in Luke chapter 7 and verses 11 through 16. It says, and it came about soon afterwards that he went to a city called Nain, and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large crowd. Now, as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a sizable crowd from the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her. And he said, do not weep. And he came up and he touched the coffin and the bearers came to a halt. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and he began to speak. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Fear gripped them all and they began glorifying God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us. And God has visited his people. Now, when we read here that it says that it came about soon afterwards, what this is referring to is that earlier Jesus had been in Capernaum. And there he had done uh, a miracle where he brought a man who was near death back to life. And and that morning he left Capernaum and he headed out to Nain. Now, Nain was a, a city that was located on the eastern side of the Jezreel Valley. It was up the hill of Moray. It was about a day's journey from Capernaum. To name. And as Jesus is going, we're told that a, a sizable crowd is going with him. Obviously, they were not in the social distancing that we're experiencing today. And as people were with him, they had seen this miracle. And, and what they were doing was they wanted to see what was coming next. And you can imagine as this crowd is following along Jesus, as they're moving through the countryside, people are seeing the crowd. They're hearing the buzz about what had happened. And so more and more are joining in, and this crowd is growing as they go. They want to see what is going to happen next. And as they come to uh, the hill of Moray, Nain is up on the side of this mountain. And so they begin going up the side of this mountain. There's this procession that is being led by Jesus And verse 12 tells us, Now as he approached the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a sizable crowd from the city was with her. Now as this coffin is being carried out, uh, it's not like the coffins that we see. Caskets that we're used to seeing are closed, and and the pallbearers will carry them down by their side. But in that day in the Middle East, even today, you'll see on the news where, where coffins are more like a pallet. And they're carried at shoulder height. And so this boy's body is up on this pallet where everybody can see him as they're coming out of the city down uh, to the cemetery that's outside the gates of this little town. And and as this is happening, we're we're told this mom is, is walking alongside the body of her son. Now, I want you to notice that this boy's mother is called a widow. And what that means is she's made this trip to the cemetery before. The last time she went to the cemetery was to bury her husband. And now she's lost her young son. Not only is it her young son, but the passage tells us it's her only son. And so what that means is this woman is in a desperate, hopeless situation. Because I want you to remember that in the first century, in that culture and day, women had no rights. The property, the the legal protection, everything came through the men of the family. She's lost her husband. Now she's lost her only son. This means this woman has no men in her family to care for her. So not only is there this great personal loss, but but she has no property rights. She has no protection at all. And and we're told that as she's weeping for this son she's lost, uh, it would have been that day. Because again, in the first century, in that culture, they didn't embalm bodies. When a, when a person died, they prepared the body immediately. And so that means the boy would have died sometime that morning. They would have washed him. They would have wrapped him. They would have prepared his body. So the death, the loss of her son is still fresh. And as they're coming out of the city, we're, we're told that there's a sizable crowd with her as well. It's a small town. Everybody knows this woman. Everybody knows her loss. The whole town has turned out to mourn with her. We have a saying that when somebody dies, we say they're about to meet their maker. And in this case, that's exactly what's happening because this boy is about to meet Jesus Christ, the one that all things have come into being through. And so as, as this boy is being carried out of the city, uh, this is not a matter of coincidence. This is a divine providence. I want to remind you that earlier that morning when Jesus was in Capernaum, he said, we're going to name." Jesus knew what was happening in Nain as God. He he knew the need of this woman. He knew what was happening. And he left Capernaum early that morning to be there to meet this woman in her time of need. You know, this morning we're celebrating Easter, a time where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And yet I know that some who are watching this this morning feel like it's still Good Friday. You're still living that time of loss. Maybe you've recently lost a loved one of your own. It could be that you have a loved one who has a a chronic health condition that is possibly even facing death. It could be that you're dealing with some problems at work. It may be that the problem is you've lost your job. You've been furloughed because of this crisis, because of the shutdown. And right now, while this should be a morning of hope and celebration, you feel more like you're living Good Friday. And it's hard to celebrate today. If that's where you find yourself this morning, I want you to think about a time where maybe you were sitting at a window watching one of these big thunderstorms roll in that we have here in Texas. And as as you've watched one of these big storms, you know how the sky turns black. You know how there are flashes of lightning and then there's that thunder that will rattle the windows and even shake the whole house at times. You know, when I was a young boy, I wondered why thunder and lightning didn't happen at the same time. Now, of course they do. We know that as we get older and we understand that that light travels faster than sound. But when I was younger, I didn't, didn't understand that concept. And sometimes it's like this when we have a need, when we go to God in prayer, we're praying and we're asking God, where are you? What are you doing, God? Why aren't you at work? And and what's happening is all we can see is the rain falling, the water rising. We're in a desperate situation, but we can't see all of the heavenlies. You know, there there are times that God has already responded to your need. God is already on the way to meet your need. But right now, you, you haven't seen the flash of lightning because it's a different part of the sky that you can't see outside your window. And what you don't know is in a moment there's going to be this thunderous response as God is going to to show up with the answer to your desperate prayer. As you search the blackened skies of life's thunderstorms, it may be that you haven't seen the lightning, but God is on his way. He's on his way already to meet your need. It was that way with this woman in name. That widow, that morning as she's grieving, as she's having the loss of her son, she's wondering, God, where are you? God, do you care? Why, God? And what she didn't know is that the lightning had already flashed. The son of God had already left Capernaum. He was on his way. And just outside the gate of the city, she was about to experience the thunderous response. Verse 13 tells us, And when the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her. And he said to her, Do not weep. Do not weep. You know, words are easy to speak, aren't they? But what about the material care that goes behind it? Think of the story of a, a young boy. He had been given the last of the money his family had. Their their little baby in the home needed some milk. He was sent to the store, told to be very careful. He got the bottles of milk, and as he was coming out of the store uh, carrying the bag, he tripped and fell, and as he hit the sidewalk, the, the milk shattered, and, and it went everywhere. Now, the the boy began to cry, and people could see what happened. They ran up to this young man and, and they were wondering, Was he hurt? Was he cut? And as he was kind of getting up, everybody's like, Are you okay? And the little boy says, I'm fine, I'm fine. He said, But that, that was the last of our money. I, I, I needed that milk for my, my baby brother. And people in the crowd were just telling him how sorry they were and how sad it was. And at that moment, a man who was standing in the crowd reached into his pocket and he pulled out a dollar. And he turned to the rest of the crowd and he said, I care a dollar's worth. How much do you care? And he handed it to the boy. You know, as I said, words can be easy to say, but real care and concern goes beyond words. We see that in James chapter 2 and verses 15 through 16. There it says, If a brother or a sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm, and be filled. And yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What good is that? Some of you right now have a need. Some of you are out of work. Some of you are wondering, where will you get the food you need to eat? How are you going to make uh, the payments on those bills? And I want to remind you that as a church, we're here for you. Every week, we've been telling you that if you have a need, we have a food pantry here. If you are struggling to pay some bills, we want you to call our church office, make an appointment to come and pick up some food, Uh, make an appointment to talk with one of our financial counselors who can come alongside you and can help by saying, what are the resources you have? What are the needs you have? And where can Wayside Chapel step in to come alongside you and help meet uh, some of those financial needs that you have. So if you have that need, I want you to hear, we are here for you. You're not alone. We are God's hands and feet to come alongside you in this time of crisis. As this woman had this need here, Jesus tells her, do not weep. And those were not empty words because Jesus was about to do something tangible for her. Jesus sees her grief it says he's moved with compassion and god was moved with compassion when he saw us in our needs you read isaiah chapter 53 and it speaks of jesus and his crucifixion it says he was a man of sorrows he was one acquainted with grief as god saw us in our time of greatest need as he saw us as sinners who were lost who were under the penalty of death he didn't just sit up in heaven and say, oh, that's, that's too bad that they're in such desperate shape. What he did was he was moved, not only with compassion, but he moved from heaven to earth. He took on flesh and blood so that he could ultimately go to the cross to pay the penalty of death that we owed for our sins. Romans 5, 8 tells us, but God demonstrated his own love toward us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He was moved with compassion. He was moved to meet the greatest need any of us would ever have, which was for a savior, Jesus Christ. And as God saw this widow's need, he came in to meet it. As God saw our need, he moved to meet it. Friends, God didn't just care a dollar's worth. God cared enough to die for us. God didn't say, I love you this much or this much. He said, I love you this much. And he spread his arms wide and he died on a cross. He paid that penalty of death. He was buried in a tomb. And as we celebrate today, three days later, he rose from the dead. He showed that he was who he said he was, the son of God, the promised Messiah. He conquered sin and death. And here God moves to meet this woman's need. He says, I love you and I'm here and I know your need. Now, for some of us, the question is not, does God care? Rather, it's, is God in control? Think of the story of a young man. He was a, a fairly new believer, a young Christian, and he was struggling with a lot of things in his life. And he, he got on a city bus one day. He was on his way to work. It was a trip he had made many times before. But this day was different. There was a storm out, there was rain, the the windows on the bus were all fogged up. The only window you could see out of was the front where the defogger was going and the windshield wipers. And this young man, as he boarded the bus, he went to the very back and he was sitting there. There was only one other person on the bus, which was fine with him because he needed some time to think as he was dealing with the struggles in his life. And the bus was going along its normal route, stopping. The other person got off the bus, so he was left alone. And as the bus was going down the street, he hadn't been paying attention. And at that moment, he looks up. And out the front window, he he sees this brick wall in the windshield. And the bus is coming full speed toward this brick wall. The bus isn't slowing down. He's not turning. And the young man in the very back of the bus is wondering, is the, is the guy awake? Did he fall asleep? And he stands up, and he's about to scream for the bus driver to watch out for the wall. But just at the very last moment, the bus driver gently turned the wheel, and the bus turned down a side street in that brick wall, uh, passed out of view, and there was an open road ahead. And at that moment, the the young man sits down in his seat, and and he thinks, you know, the bus driver can see the road up from where he is. He has a lot better view than I do. Maybe I should just trust him to drive the bus. And then it dawned on him that it was like that with God. He said, God can see the whole road ahead. God knows what I'm facing. God knows what's ahead. And, And I need to just trust God to drive the bus of my life. I need to know that God is in control. Is there anybody here this morning that feels like that young man in the back of the bus that right now you're looking out this window ahead and your your view is obscured, and all you can see is this brick wall ahead of you and, and we're just we're driving full speed ahead into the wall this covid nineteen this this fear of of death, this fear of the economy crashing, this fear of what 's going to happen what's tomorrow going to hold, and as you're worried about what 's ahead. Are, are you wanting to stand up and, and tell God, "What are you doing, God? Don't don't you see?" And God says, "Trust me. I see the whole picture. I know what is ahead. The Bible tells us each day has enough trouble of its own." And God says, "Would you trust me, friends? We trust God for eternity. We know He's taking care of the ultimate need we have, which is when we die for a Savior." Can we not trust him for today and tomorrow and the needs that are ahead? As this woman was walking out of the city, all she could see was a brick wall ahead. All she could see was this, this, you know, she, she didn't know what was coming, but what she did know is God was about to turn the wheel. Friends, if you're the one in the driver's seat this morning, if you're the one trying to be in control of your life, God says you need to change drivers. You need to give him control of the wheel. Now, some of you may say, well, Roger, I'm actually doing a pretty good job right now. I had savings. I still, you know, have a job. Things are good. I'm, I'm, I'm in control. Friends, what you don't know is there is a bridge that is out ahead. If you are the one in the driver's seat, if you think you don't need God to be the one on the throne of your life, if you've never accepted Jesus to be your Savior, I want to tell you the bridge is out ahead. There is a day coming where we will all face a wall called death. And the only way across that chasm of death is through Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And if you've not given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've not accepted him to be the payment for the penalty of death in your life, you will have to pay that penalty yourself one day. And the Bible tells us none of us can get to God by how good we are. None of us can get to God on our own. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That word sin means to miss the mark. It means that we have not lived a perfect life 100% of the time. And as sinners, Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but... But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And what Jesus did when he came and he died on the cross was he paid that penalty of death for your sins and mine. He closed the account. He paid the penalty in full. But that check is good only for those who accept his death in their place, those who receive him as their personal savior. So if you're in the driver's seat of your life this morning, wherever you are, God says, it's time to change drivers. You have to come to me. You have to place your faith and trust in my son, Jesus Christ, in order to be saved. All of us will face this wall called death one day. This young man was facing it. This woman, all she could see was the wall ahead. And yet, because Jesus was the one in the driver's seat, he was about to turn the wheel. Because as we look at verse 14, we see what happens when Christ is in control. Because it says, and he came up. And he touched the coffin, and the bearers came to a halt. I want you to think about the last time you saw a funeral procession. You know, as it's going down the road, uh, many of us see one of those coming, and we think, can I beat this? You know, I don't have time for this. And and we want to, you know, try to get ahead of it. But what, what courtesy dictates is that we do is we stop, we yield to it. We allow the funeral procession to pass by, but in Jesus' day, they not only had to stop and and yield to a funeral procession, but they actually had to join it. Once the funeral procession passed you by in the, the Middle Eastern first century culture, you then were required to join the end of it, and you would have had to follow the funeral procession to the cemetery to where this boy would be buried. And so here we have the Lord of life leading a procession up the hill, and we have this funeral procession coming down. And, and like the Jungle Book story where two animals meet on a narrow path and one has to step aside for the other, the question becomes, will the Lord of life yield to death or will death yield to the Lord of life? And so these two processions meet, and Jesus stops the uh, funeral procession. All eyes are on the on the casket this open top pallet all our eyes are on this body and what Jesus does next is he says young man I say to you arise and the dead man sat up and he began to speak he sat up he began to speak i love how people try to explain away miracles in the bible Uh, People will tell you, well, Jesus didn't really rise from the dead today. He was just, you know, had lost so much blood, and so he was in the tomb, and and the cool of the tomb revived him, and that's how he came out alive. He wasn't really dead. We we could spend an entire day talking about all the facts, how Romans were professional executioners, how they uh, knew when somebody was dead, how medical science talks about when the spear was thrust in his side and the blood and the water came out separate, showing he was dead Friends, as weak and as much blood as Jesus had lost, uh, the tomb would not have revived him. Uh, the hypothermia would have killed him if he wasn't already dead, which he was. And he was wrapped in grave clothes. He couldn't, he couldn't free himself. People try to explain away that miracle. People try to explain this miracle away and say, well, this is just rigor mortis. You know, the body, you know, was just flinching when it kind of moved Uh, Friends, I want to remind you, Luke, who is writing this gospel for us, was a medical doctor. He knew the difference between rigor mortis and a resurrection. This boy is alive. The body not only moves, but he begins to speak. Now, as this happens, people see this amazing miracle, and it says in verse 17, Fear gripped them all, and they began glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. As, as they see this, they, they search their memory banks and they say, how do we explain this? What, what is this like? The reason I told you where Nain was earlier is because if you look at a map in, in this hill of Moray, on the other side, about four miles away from this little town of Nain is another little town called Shunan. And if you go back to the Old Testament, if you read in Second Kings chapter 4, you'll find that there was a prophet by the name of Elisha. And there was another young man who died one day there on the hill of Moray on the other side, hundreds of years before. And, and this woman who lost her son called for this prophet Elisha to come. And Elisha came and he prayed for the boy. And he, he, you can read in chapter 4 how he lay on top of him. He prayed, he did various things, and this boy comes back to life. And so as the people who would have known this account, this story, just four miles away, they've heard all through the years what happened. They say, well, here's another young man brought back to life. So Jesus must be like Elisha, a great prophet. But as you look at all the accounts in the scriptures where people were brought back to life, this one is very unique. In fact, every time Christ brought somebody back from the dead, uh, it was different than what we see when Peter Uh, brought back somebody, when uh, Elisha, they had to pray, they had to go through this entreating God. Now, Jesus is God himself. Jesus is able to just speak, and it happens. Now, when he raised his friend Lazarus from the dead, we find where he, he prayed there, and the reason he said that is he prayed so that the people would see that God the Father heard him as God the Son. Jesus didn't have to go through an elaborate ritual. Jesus, who is God, has the power of life and death. And here he simply says, I say to you, young man, arise. You know, whenever you see Jesus bringing somebody back from the dead, he always prefaces it. He said, Lazarus, come forth. When he brought the little girl back from the dead, he said, little girl, I say to you, arise. What if Jesus had just said, arise? We should remember they're by the cemetery. This funeral procession is there. They're going to go in. There, there, are, there are graves all throughout this cemetery. If Jesus had just simply said, arise, every single tomb would have opened. Every single person would have come forth alive. Wouldn't that have been amazing to see? Don't you wish you were there to see something like this? Friends, can I tell you something? Not only will we see something like this, we will experience it ourselves. Because as you read in the Bible, it tells us that we are not only going to see it, but for those of us who are Christians, we will experience the resurrection ourselves. First Thessalonians four thirteen uh, and following tells us, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as do though as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. This is talking about the rapture. The rapture is the time where Jesus Christ will return from heaven after he walked the earth for 40 days, appearing to more than 500 witnesses. He ascended into heaven where he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. And there is a day coming where he will return. And and the rapture is where he does not physically return to the earth. That's his second coming. The rapture is where he comes halfway and we who are believers will be resurrected if you've died in Christ. Those who have already physically died, if you have loved ones who are, who have died like my mom and others in my family, they will be raised. And then we who are still alive, a millisecond later, we will be raptured as well. The word means to be caught up. And we will meet the Lord in the air and we return with him to heaven when a believer in Christ dies, their physical body may be buried in a tomb. it may be cremated, it may undergo some other decomposition, but our eternal soul, who we are, is is immediately taken to god second corinthians five eight says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and at the rapture, there will be a joining together of our eternal soul and our physical bodies, and we will meet the Lord in the air. Now, our permanent resurrected bodies will never again suffer death or decay during that time. But what we have here is this young man who was brought back from the dead, he physically died again. Lazarus, who was raised from the dead, he died again. Every person who had been resurrected, their physical bodies died again. Only Jesus Christ received his permanent resurrection body, which is why as we read the scriptures, it says he is the firstborn among the dead. From the dead, because he is the one who has his permanent, perfect body. Now, as I mentioned, after Jesus rose from the dead, he walked the earth for forty days. He appeared to more than five hundred witnesses to show that he was indeed alive, having having conquered sin and death. In in one of the first appearances after he appeared to the disciples, you'll remember Thomas. One of the disciples was not with him, with the group. And when they were reporting to Thomas how they had seen the resurrected Lord, uh, Thomas said in John 20, 25, Unless I see his hands in the imprint of the nails and I put my fingers into the place of the nails and I put my hand into his side, he says, I will not believe. Now, Jesus appeared again to the group of the disciples later, and this time Thomas was with him. And in John 20, 27, Jesus said, Reach here with your finger and see my hands. Reach here with your hand, put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. People saw the resurrected Lord. They physically touched him. And, friends, we will see the resurrected Lord in heaven with all the marks of his crucifixion. In Revelation 5 6, John, the Apostle John, was at one point given the opportunity to see into heaven. And there he described seeing Christ. And he said he was standing as a lamb as if slain. We will see the marks of the crucifixion. We will see where the crown of thorns was. We will see where the nails were in his hands and feet, the spear that was thrust in his side, because those are marks of honor. For for the Messiah who saved us. We will be with God in heaven one day for those of us who have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus died for us, our bodies may suffer death, but for those who have placed their faith in Christ, our life is not over when we physically die here on earth. It is just the beginning of our eternal life. This is why we read in 1 Thessalonians 4, Therefore comfort one another with these words. Death yielded to Jesus, not just on that hillside at Nain. Friends, I want to remind you as we celebrate today that death yielded to Jesus on another hill called Calvary. When Jesus was crucified, when he died on the cross, it looked like death had won. But as we celebrate this morning, death did not win. Jesus conquered sin, death, and Satan as he rose from the dead three days later. It's why we read in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty five, "O oh death, where is your victory? O oh death, where is your sting? None of us knows when that day is that we will die. For some, it may be today. For some, it could be 10 years from now. For others, it may be 50 years. If the Lord returns during our lifetime, which I believe he could, some of us will not suffer physical death here. We will simply be raptured and meet the Lord in the air. But whenever that day comes, the question of where you will spend eternity is answered today by which procession are you in this morning, friends? Are you in the procession following the Lord of life, Jesus Christ? Or are you in a funeral procession, hopeless and dead in your sins, trusting in yourself to get to God? As we saw earlier in John 14:6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. God has offered you and I the gift of eternal life, and it comes through faith in his Son. Romans 10:9 says, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you've never accepted his death in your place, friends, I invite you today to receive him as your Savior. In John five 24, we're told, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your savior, I want to give you an opportunity to do so now. I'm going to lead us in a prayer here in a moment as we close. And in the prayer, there's nothing magic about it. It's just your way of saying to God, "I'm accepting your gift, your death Jesus in my place." Remember Romans 10:9 said if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. And so what we do is we acknowledge that we're a sinner. And what that means is we, we recognize we've made mistakes in our life, that we've not been perfect. And because we are sinners, we owe that penalty of death. And we say, God, thank you for taking my place. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for washing away my sins by your blood that was shed on the cross. And we believe that he not only died, but he rose from the dead, proving that he, he was who he said he was, the son of God who conquered sin and death. So if you'd like to receive his gift of eternal life, this gift of grace, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one should boast. If you'd like to receive his gift to you, I invite you to bow your heads where you are, in your home, your car, wherever it is that you're worshiping with us this morning and pray this prayer. dear God, I'm a sinner. And as a sinner, I know I deserve the penalty of death. I realize, God, that I can't earn my way to heaven by being good. It is only through the gift of your grace. I thank you, God, the Father, that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die in my place, to be the payment for the penalty of sin that I owed Jesus, I thank you that you died for me, that you shed your blood to wash away my sins. Today, I accept you, Jesus Christ, as my personal Savior. I believe that you conquered sin and death as you rose from the grave in new life. I thank you, God, for the gift of eternal life I now have and for making me a part of your family. Thank you for inviting me into your family. Thank you for making me a son or a daughter of yours. I pray these things in the name of my precious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I would love for you to email us here at Wayside Chapel. Just let us know so we can follow up with you. We can get some materials to you to help you begin to grow in your new life in Christ. Tell your friends, your family, others who maybe invited you to watch this uh, video cast with us so that we can make sure that you begin to take the next steps to grow in your new life. And for the rest of us who have already received Jesus as our Savior, this is a day where while, while death is around us, while people are in fear, we have the opportunity to remind them that we are followers of the Lord of life. We don't have to follow in the procession of fear. We don't have to wonder what is going to happen on that day when we die because we are a part of the family of God. We are following the Lord of life. I want to leave you with these words from 1 Peter 1.3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Go and share that good news with the world. Go and let the world know that even though churches are empty today, it's because we're celebrating the fact that the tomb was empty and we get to share the good news about what it means to be a follower of the Lord of life. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Happy Easter.